Well, if you did not have an opportunity to be part of Serve Day, you will have an opportunity later on this year. One of the things that I love telling people is that you're never more like Jesus than when you give. And so when we serve, when we're giving of our time, our talents, and even our treasures, we are truly never more like Jesus. Well, good morning, Northland. It is so good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four, you can turn your device on and click on Mark chapter four if you have a device. Now, we are in a series. Do you remember what series we're in? Okay, you you said it like transitions. What, What series are we in? Transitions, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as I was thinking about where we're going today, uh, let, let, me ask you, let me ask you this question. What scares you to death? Like what scares you to death? I got a couple, and I'm, I don't have time to share all of the things that I'm scared to death of, but I, I do have one thing that I think all of you Floridians can relate to and that is driving in a torrential downpour. So last weekend when I crossed the Florida line, like it had not rained on me from Wheaton all the way to Florida. But within about 15, 20 minutes of crossing the Florida line, a torrential downpour happened. Now, I think you know what I'm talking about. Like, I think I I even brought a little video just to show you what I'm talking about. Like you can't see. Like, now, that, that's not my video, okay? I just want you to know. I was not trying to take a video and go, I'm going to use this in a sermon. One. No, we, we pulled that offline, but that was kind of the gist of it. So when that happens, I white-knuckle it. You know what I mean by white-knuckle? And, and here's the thing. I, let me ask you this. How, men, do you drive with one hand? How many men drive with one hand? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just drive one hand. We cool. Now, women, you might drive like a school bus driver like my, my wife. Every time I get in her minivan, she has the steering wheel up, so I can't even do this, all right? So I can't do this, so I got to, and she doesn't like me moving her steering wheel, so guess what? I got, I got to do like a bus driver, and the bus driver cups, and which I, I've never driven a bus, but this is what I think. So you, you cup the steering wheel. But, but anyways, when, when a torrential downpour happens and I cannot see, I get scared to death. And so I immediately turn into the proper driver. I, I've got my hand at 10 o'clock and at three o'clock and I'm white knuckling it. And if you know what I'm talking about, your, your heart begins to beat and then there's three options that you have. Do you know what those three options are? Number one, you can pull over to the side of the road. Let me ask you this, in a torrential downpour, how many of you, you pull over on the side of the road? Just raise your hand. Anybody pull over on the side of the road? All right, we got some brave people, all right? All right, the second option, you know what the second option is? You can turn on your flashers. All right, how many turn on your flashers? Anybody turn on your flashers? Yeah, a few of you. I turn on my flashers. And then the third option you have, now again, I'm talking about a torrential downpour. You cannot see, but the third option you have is keep barreling through. How many of you barrel through? How many of you? Wow, all right. So are you saying that I will get used to this? Okay, all right, all right. Well, I'm scared to death. And you know why I'm scared to death? It's because I've, I've lost control. Like, I, I cannot see the, the white line like I used to. I, I can't see the, the dotted line in the middle of the road. I barely can even see trucks or cars in front of me. And, and what I really do hate is when I'm near an 18-wheeler because they kick up even more water. And so when, when I'm driving next to an 18-wheeler, when I've decided to barrel on through and I'm trying to pass an 18-wheeler, I'm scared to 
death. Now, what I want to do is I want to define what fear is. Now, let me, let me define fear. I got two definitions here. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, or loss, or it can also be defined as an anticipation of the possibility that something unpleasant will occur. So while I'm driving in a torrential downpour, I would say that second definition fits for me. It's the possibility that something unpleasant will occur. I understand how driving a vehicle and getting into a crash, an accident on the interstate could be a pretty serious thing. And so when I really have felt like I've lost control that I cannot see the way I, well, I once did, I have this fear that has scared me to death. Did you know this, that fear originates in the mind? In fact, when you face something scary, something threatening, you experience what psychologists refer to as the amygdala hijack. Everybody say amygdala. And that's just a fun word to say. Amygdala hijack. And the amygdala is part of the brain that processes emotions and serves as your alarm, your, your threat alert system. And, and the mind can take people, places, things, environment, circumstances, feelings, emotions, and possibilities and begin to communicate to the heart that things aren't right, that you might be in trouble. And in that communication process between the mind and the heart, one bodies can experience an accelerated heart rate, which seriously, like when I'm driving, my watch records some, in, in, in a torrential downpour, records some exercise points. I mean, I'm talking my heart rate, is, it's, it's up 100, 105, because I'm nervous. Uh, worry, concern, fret, stress, tension. Did you know that chronic fear can cause illness to the body, dysfunction in the brain? And as a result of fear, fear can freeze, Fear can make you forget, fear can make you want to flee, and fear can make you want to fight. Those are the four responses of fear. Freeze, forget, flee, and fight. And depending on how you're wired will depend on what you do. Do you freeze? You just don't know what to do, which is why, which is why you know, some people pull over, they just freeze. I'm not gonna go anywhere. Forget, flee, and fight. Now today we're going to look at how to navigate killer storms that scare us to death. You say, Josh, oh, what's a killer storm? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Let me define a killer storm. A killer storm is a dark and dreadful situation, circumstance, condition, or environment that comes upon one's life that threatens to end their life or an element or an aspect of their life. So it's a dark and dreadful situation that threatens to take you out or an element of your life out. Do you have any examples? Yeah, absolutely. Here's some examples. Disease. I mean, I think we've, we, we know over the last two years, COVID can take you out. Even some people that you wouldn't even thought would have been taken out by COVID, COVID has taken them out. Cancer, ALS, Alzheimer's, muscular dystrophy, and the list goes on and on about disease and sickness that can threaten to end your life. Parenting. Parenting a wayward or rebellious or hurting child, it threatens to end maybe a relationship or at least strain it. Marital difficulty, I know that maybe I'm talking to some couples in here maybe online that you have thrown out the D word, divorce, and it is threatening to end your marriage. It is threatening to end your home of what you've known as home. What about betrayal by a friend, boss, hero, or an organization which has threatened to end a relationship? Depression. 
Maybe some of you are struggling with depression. Well, what does depression threaten, Josh? Well, it threatens to end joy. What about isolation? Threatens to end community. Financial loss. Threatens to end security and comfort and maybe even your lifestyle. Vocational loss where you've lost a job or you've had a career change and it threatens to end your security and purpose. Injustice threatens to end flourishing, trials, difficulties, pain. It threatens to end hope and purpose and resilience. Failure, shame. Maybe some of you, you're dealing with failure and shame this morning and that failure and shame is threatening to end your worth, your value, your love. And then even uncertainty and chaos threatens to end confidence and trust. All of those are killer storms. And if you've been paying attention in transitions, there are three phases to every transition. There is an ending, there is a neutral zone, and there is a beginning. And see what killer storms do is they threaten to end something. And we have to process that ending and enter into the new beginning. And today we're going to look at a passage where the disciples encountered a killer storm that arose suddenly and threatened to end their life And so here's the main point. If you're ready for the main point, say you ready? Here it is. Your ship's captain will determine your soul's calmness in any killer storm. So your ship's captain will determine your soul's calmness in any killer storm. Like I said, when I'm driving in torrential downpour, I'm not calm. I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of stress. I have a lot of worry. Again, you might be in a killer storm, or here's the thing, you might not be in one, but guess what? At some point, you will be in one. Maybe you've just come out of one, and you know what I'm talking about here is that your soul's not calm in a killer storm. It's panicking. And so who your ship's captain is will determine your soul's calmness in any killer storm. So with that said, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? And I love this passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. The Bible says this, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to what? The other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious storm or squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus, where's Jesus? Jesus was in the And what was he doing? Sleeping. Getting some shut eye. He was tired. Maybe he was just moving in like I was this past week and painting and putting together furniture. No, he he was doing ministry. But I was. I was doing ministry this past week, get ready for my family coming tomorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, now he's going to turn to his disciples. And here's what he says. Why are you so what? Hey, why? Why why, why are you so afraid? Why are you scared to death? Do you still have no faith? They were now terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves, what? 
Father, may you be glorified. Jesus, may we center our lives around you. Spirit, will you go to work bringing calmness to our life based upon the truth of your word that we can face and go through any killer storm because of who Jesus is. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I I wanna do this morning. I I want us to see how we can process any killer storm that we face. Because again, remember, transitions are psychological. You've got to process that change. Change is situational. See, the storm coming, it, it, it was situational. It was a change in environment. But they had to process that storm. And so what we can see here in Mark chapter 4 is how we can process any killer storms. And these are four truths that we can speak in and over our lives whenever we face a killer storm. And here they are. Truth number one. Jesus is Lord before the killer storm. Jesus is Lord before the killer storm. Now we read in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he told them, Jesus said this, let's cross over to the other side. Now Jesus had had a long day. Uh, He had been ministering, so he's physically, he's emotionally, he's spiritually tired. And so he's going to get in this boat. He's going to make his way down into the stern. He's got a cushion with him. He's got a pillow. And he is going to catch some shut-eye as they go across to the other side. Now, where is he going? Well, he is going to Gentile territory. Why is he going to Gentile territory? Because he has a demon that he has to drive out because there is a man who has been demon-possessed and has been an outcast, and so Jesus is going to cast the demon out. And can I just say on a side note that killer storms not only threaten our life or an element of our life, but they can thwart our mission. You see, Jesus had told his disciples, we're going to the other side. We got work to do. But when the storm arose, it really threatened to take the lives of the disciples out. And they're freaking out. And what happens typically in our life is when we enter into killer storms, it takes our eyes off God and takes our eyes off mission. But Jesus, he's leading his disciples on a mission. But there's one thing that I I want us to to note here. We know that Jesus is going to calm the storm. So so let me just ask you this. Don't, Don't you think that if Jesus has the power to calm the storm, he has the power to predict the storm? Okay, yeah, he he does. The answer is yes, just in case you were wondering. He does. So he is intentionally and purposefully taking them into the eye of the storm. Let that sink in. Now, why is he doing it? Test them. Have you been listening? Well, have they been listening to what? Well, if you look at the gospel of Matthew, but before the storm comes, you, you will see what Jesus has been teaching the disciples. And he's been teaching the disciples on the kingdom of God. And, and one of the big parts of his teaching was the Sermon on the Mount. And, and one of the cool parts of the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about where you build your house. 
For, for those that build their house on the rock, the winds come, the storms come, and it blows against the house. But because the house is on the rock, the house is standing. But there are some people, they build their house on sand, and the winds blow, and the storms come, and it takes out the house because they built it on sand. They've seen him heal the sick. They, they've heard him say uh, to a man with leprosy, literally the words, be clear, be clean, and he's clean. They've seen him touch Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever, and the fever left her, and she got up and started cooking them a meal. They've seen him drive out demons with just a word, and now he is taking them into the eye of the storm, but they haven't been listening what he's been trying to teach them is that he is Lord even before the storm. Let me ask you this. What are you listening to? Because we know, you and I know, we will go through a killer storm. It might be in our marriage. It might be in our finances. It might be in our careers. It might be in our health. It might even be a corporate killer storm. But, but the question that you have to ask yourself, what are you listening to? What, what are you being taught before the storm? And what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is that he's Lord before the storm. But here's the other principle that we see. Because look in verse 37. We read how this great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that they began to sink. And that's when they start freaking out. But they failed to realize even in the moment that Jesus told them these words, we are going to the other side. Like if Jesus said that they're going to the other side, go ahead and take it to the bank. You, you can bet the farm. Because come hell or high water, they're going to the other side. But they took their eyes and they took their ears off of what Jesus had said. And, and here's the principle, the loss of control are facing something overpowering causes fear. <laughs> I saw a video on uh, Facebook this, this past week where, where this Florida man, his little pup had gotten taken by a small little alligator. I don't know if you've seen this video. So he jumps into this pond. He is, it's so funny, he jumps in, it's an older man too. He jumps into the pond and you can see him trying to grab the alligator. He pulls the alligator up and sure enough, the alligator has the little pup in his mouth and this guy, and, and the funny part about this video is this guy has a cigar in his mouth and, the, and he never loses his cigar. Like that's a man, this is, that is a Floridian, right? And so he's trying to wrestle that alligator, open up his mouth so his little pup, little Fido can get away. And sure enough, he, he opens up the gator's mouth and the little Fido limps away. I, I promise you he wouldn't have done that to a 10 pound alligator. See, when things, when we face things that are overpowering, when we face things in our life where we have lost control, that's what tests our faith, right? See, for most people, come on now, I'm about to get serious here. For most people, their faith is fine as long as they feel like things are under control. In other words, as long as my relationship, as long as, long as my marriage, as long as my finances, economy, job, health, as long as ministry is stable, man, fine, my faith is good, woohoo. However, when your boat's rocked by the elements beyond your control to the degree that, that you feel overpowered, that's when faith becomes shaky. And see, that certainly describes the disciples. 
You see, I know that our culture is a little jaded, okay, a lot jaded, when it comes to people saying that, that they're going to do one thing, but, but then it never happens, or maybe it happens later on, but not when they said it would, like parents. I mean, I'm guilty of this. All right, buddy, I'll, I'll take you to Target later. He wants to get some Pokemon cards. All right, I'll take you to Target later. Later comes, and it, are you going to take me to Target? Oh, buddy, man, I, I'm just really tired. I just want to stay in for the day. See, a little jaded. Maybe, maybe politicians. Hey, I'm going to fight for you. If you, if you vote for me, I'll, I'll fight for you. You vote, you, you vote for them. They get into office, and you're like, I ain't you fighting. They, they said they promised the moon. <laughs> All they delivered was a moon pie. I mean, it was awesome, yeah. <laughs> Professors or teachers to students, I'm going to give you extra credit to help you boost your grade. Uh, uh, ma'am, sir, can, can I have the extra credit? Well, I've, just, I've decided to change my mind. I get, I get it that our culture is jaded from those who are in authority that say one thing and maybe they don't follow through. But I want you to understand this. If Jesus says it, you can go ahead and declare it that it will happen. So if he tells you you're going to the other side, you are going to the other side. And you know how I know this? Three reasons. Number one, put a pin in it because I'm going to tell you at the very end. So go boop, put a pin in it, all right? Second, the disciples did make it to the other side. But the third thing is that the other boats didn't make it. See, in verse 36, we read, and other boats were with him. Now, some commentators see this statement as relevant only in that it prescribes details of the evening. But I'm about to speculate, and I don't do this a lot. I don't really do it very often. But I'm going to do it here because I believe there might just be more to the story than Mark putting in these details. And here's the speculation. We never see these boats again. See, in chapter 5, when Jesus and his disciples get to the other side, there's no mention of the other boats or the other people joining him. And this has led other people to speculate that either the storm was so fierce that it claimed their lives, or it was so fierce that they fought back to get to the shore where their journey had begun. In other words, unless you are in the boat with Jesus, you don't make it to the other side. So Jesus is Lord before the killer storm. The second truth is this, Jesus is Lord in the killer storm. Jesus is Lord in the killer storm. Verse 38 states this, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? So obviously at this point, the disciples don't know what to do. The water is coming in the boat so fast that they cannot bail it out even fast enough. And so the boat is beginning to sink. Could you imagine that, that scene, 12 disciples in this boat and they're freaking out? I mean, it was chaos. Probably a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, Peter, you're not doing enough. Bail harder. <laughs> John, shut your mouth. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, I'm telling you, it, it, you know, it's, it's probably a madhouse there. And as, as the boat is beginning to sink, they're probably saying their goodbyes. Peter's good to know you. Well, Peter, it was good to know you, but just, just FYI, you run your mouth a little too much. Just I've been, been on my heart lately, but now that we're dying, I figure I might d- tell you that. John, you know what? I love you too, brother, but I don't like the fact that you keep saying that you're the beloved. You, you know, and so I've just got to get that off my chest since we're about here to die. And so they're saying their goodbyes. And as they're like going around saying goodbye, it was good to know you, good to do ministry with you. They realize Jesus isn't there. 
where's Jesus? And they're like, well, I, when, when we got on the boat, we saw him go down in the stern. He took his little pillow down there. Maybe he's still in the stern of the boat. So they make it down to the stern of the boat. Sure enough, Jesus is still there sleeping like a little baby being rocked by his daddy. Now, here's the principle that should have crossed their minds at that moment. Here's the principle. If Jesus is sleeping soundly, we shouldn't be panicking loudly. If Jesus is sleeping soundly, we shouldn't be panicking loudly. <laughs> this reminds me, <laughs> this reminds me uh, of, uh, of a trampoline that we used to have because we did not bring it with us here to Florida. Can I get a hallelujah, amen? So the moving guy, he came you know, weeks ago and he was taking inventory of everything that they were going to move. We go out in the backyard. He's like, does that trampoline go? I'm like, absolutely not. We're giving it to the neighbors. Praise Jesus. He's like, good, I didn't want to take it apart. I'm like, I didn't want to take it apart either. But for years we've had this trampoline. And you know, one of the reasons why I don't like the trampoline is because every time there is a major storm that comes through in the middle of the night, my wife, she will elbow me. Hey, you need to get outside and make sure that trampoline is secure. It's at 2 a.m. I'm like, woman, it is 2 a.m. Go back to bed. Well, what if the trampoline flies and hits a house or flies and hits the neighbor's car? I'm like, we got insurance. Go back to bed. That's why we pay progressive a lot. That's why, you know, things like Allstate is supposed to protect you from mayhem like that, right? <laughs> State Farm, like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. It's for these things. That's why they call it insurance. Go back to bed. You see, Jesus is Lord in the storm. He's the insurance. If he's there with you, if he's sleeping, if he's not panicking, neither should you be. Now, here's one of the things that I think we, we do, just as the disciples did, is that they make the big mistake that they confuse their concern for Jesus' care. See, because Jesus wasn't concerned, they felt like he didn't care. I, I know we probably get there sometimes. Like, Jesus, why aren't you concerned? Why aren't you doing anything? Why are you sleeping? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you working? I'm sitting here freaking out. I'm sitting here stressed. I'm sitting here worried, and you're not doing anything. You must not care. Now, see, that's what the disciples did. They're projecting. They're projecting their fear on God as if he doesn't care because they, he's not moving immediately the way, he, way they thought he should. But, but don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this principle. You don't want, I don't want a God that panics because a God that panics is a God that's powerless. You see, it's easy for our faith to be shaken when we stare down cancer and bad experiences and forced terminations and loss of funding and betrayal. Like, it's easy. But, but God's not sitting there panicking. Because there's nothing that our God cannot handle. There's nothing that our God cannot overcome. There's nothing that our God cannot control. There is no one, no thing that is greater than our God. So that's why I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not, what? Fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its 
swelling. And later on in that psalm, what the psalmist will declare is be still and know that he is God. In any trouble, in any killer storm, he is a very present help in times of need. That is why we can cast all our anxieties and worries on him because he truly cares for us. He's Lord in the storm. Hey, hey sir, ma'am, he's, he's Lord, brother, sister. He's Lord in the storm. The third truth is this, that you need to speak over when you are facing the killer storm is Jesus is Lord over the killer storm. Jesus is Lord over. Everybody say over, over. He's over the killer storm. See, Mark 39 tells us that Jesus got up. He didn't even address the disciples' fear personally just yet. He, he's going to get to that in just a second, but he makes his way up out of the stern, wipes the sleep out of his eye, and then he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, silence, be still. So even before addressing the disciples, Jesus does speak specifically to what they feared, the storm. I still believe that Jesus is, Jesus is still in the storm calming business. I do believe that Jesus can speak to your fear and he can say, failure, be still. He can say, doubts, be still. He can say, giants and Goliaths, be still. Addiction, be still. Enslaving sin, be still. Trauma, be still. Depression, be still. Tragedy, be still. Injustice, be still. Loss, be still. Disease, be still. And death, be still. I believe that Jesus is still in the storm calming business. Because I believe that there is no storm too violent that he cannot calm. There is no wind too strong that he cannot cease. There are no waves too big that he cannot control. There is no lightning bolt that he cannot absorb. There is no thunder that he cannot quiet. And there is no sin too grave that he cannot forgive. And I believe Jesus still today is in the storm calming business. But have you ever thought about this? Where do storms and where do killer storms come from? Well, I'm no meteorologist, but I, I did Google some things because Google's always right. But here's where natural storms form. The short and simple answer is this, that storms, whether thunderstorms or hurricanes, I, I heard that I went through my first hurricane yesterday and made it. Man, this is simple business right here. <laughs> I know, I know, I haven't experienced anything yet. But, so, so storms, whether thunderstorms or hurricanes, form when warm, moist air rises and engages in the cooler and colder air in the atmosphere. And they form storm clouds that, depending on the strength and severity of the storm, release strong winds and pelting rain and thunder and lightning. And this particular region was notorious for such storms, just as the region of Florida, very notorious for hurricanes. I hear that we're in hurricane season from June until when? Jesus comes back? Oh, yeah, anyways, yeah. Do you know why storms of life form? See, that, that's where storms form, physical storms. But did, do you know where storms of life form? When the depravity of humanity rose and engaged the holiness of God, the storm of God's wrath was created. In other words, man's rebellious air met God's righteous atmosphere. And just so that we're on the same page, let me define God's wrath. God's wrath is the determined visceral response of a holy God directed against all that dishonors him. 
It can also be defined as God's holy, righteous, and just response to sinners who deserve condemnation, judgment, and death. And you do realize that every single one of us, we deserve God's wrath. Why? Because we are rebels. We have committed treason against the holy God because of our sin. And so our rebellious our, our rebellious acts rose and it engaged the holiness of God and it created the storm of God's wrath. And now there are various aspects and facets and elements of God's wrath. And, and let me give you those real quick. God's wrath is God's active punishment and judgment on sinners. God's wrath is the consequences, the pain and suffering we experience of living in a fallen, broken, and sinful world. So here's the thing. We might be encountering the killer storm that we didn't generate, but just because of living in a fallen world, we have experience. God's wrath is turning people over to their sin and the consequences of their sin. And let me just say this too, is that that's what's happening in America right now. God is turning us over to our debased mind and our depravity, and that is an aspect of God's judgment. God's wrath is the physical death that eventually will be everyone's lot, which is God's punishment for disobedience, and God's wrath is eternal damnation, eternal punishment in hell, separated from him for all eternity. So in short, sinners are under the wrath of God, and any killer storm that ever threatens our life or an element of our life has has arisen because of sin. I know it doesn't make you feel good, but that's truth. But I know where I'm going. Do you know how storms dissipate or dissolve? When there is no longer any fuel source to fuel them. That's why I love the fact that I'm in central Florida and not on the coast. Because as hurricanes weaken as they move over land and over cold water sources, do you know how the storms of life dissipate or dissolve? When there is no longer any fuel source to stir up God's wrath. And that's why Jesus came. To absorb his wrath. And see, what we see in the calming of the storm, quiet, be still, he's foreshadowing why he has ultimately come. He has come to calm the storm of God's wrath. Where there is no sin, there is no wrath. That is why Jesus is Lord over the storm. Now, the last truth that we can speak over our life in any killer storm is this. Jesus is Lord after the killer storm. Jesus is Lord after the killer storm. So after he quiets the storm and the waves, Jesus asks his disciples two questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I'm sure he asked. I'm sure he was really stern with the wind and the waves, but I have, have the suspicion that he's whispering these questions in a very gentle way. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Let me ask you this, how do you, well, how do you have unshaken faith when you go through a killer storm? You've got to answer yourself this question. Who is Jesus to me? 
So when you encounter a killer storm, you've got to ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Is he just a teacher? Is he just part of my life? Or is he the God of my life? You see, Mark writes, and they were filled with great fear. Now, what's interesting in this entire passage, the use of the word mega, which means great, is seen throughout the passage. In verse 37, it was a mega storm. Verse 39, it was a mega calm. In verse 41, there's a mega fear. You see, they no longer feared the storm because they saw that Jesus was greater than the storm. And so they turned their attention, their fear to him. But the disciples would still struggle with their faith. In fact, Jesus would question their faith numerous of times in the upcoming chapters. But something happened. Do you know what happened? The killer storm of all killer storms would hit Jesus at the cross. You see, Jesus went to the cross to absorb God's wrath on sinners. And there on the cross, Jesus would breathe his last. He would die. He died a sinner's death. He died a criminal's death. He took our place on the cross. He breathed his last. And then they put him in a borrowed tomb. And while he is in a borrowed tomb, guess where the disciples are? They are in an upper room and they have the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So they were scared to death. That was the other killer storm that they faced. They were scared to death that the Jews would come to them and do to them what they had just done to Jesus. But at that moment when they are in this room and in their fear with the doors locked, Jesus doesn't even knock on the door. Jesus comes through the door and he stood among them and guess what Jesus told them Jesus said peace be with you just as he said peace be still to the storm he said peace be with you to their troubled hearts and at that moment things changed things transitioned in their life because they saw that Jesus went down but he came back up now you remember in point number two how, how I said that just put a pin in it and I'll tell you how I know you're going to make it through any killer storm and here it is. And here's the principle. There is no storm that can shake our faith when our faith is tethered to the one who was raised from the dead. Because at that moment, here's what the disciples realized and here's what I want you to realize that in any killer storm, that threatens an element of your life, threatens your life. If it does take you out, as long as you are in the boat with Jesus, although you go down in him, you'll always come back up. Yeah, thank you. And so here's my question. Are you in Jesus's boat? Is he your captain? Is he the one navigating you through the storm? Because he's Lord before the storm, in the storm, over the storm, after the storm. Are you in his boat? See, that makes all the difference in the world. Your ship's captain will determine your soul's calmness. And that's how you enter into these killer storm transitions in your life, determining who your captain is. Is it captain of the cosmos? 
It's the King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are people in here facing killer storms. They're going through one right now, or maybe one's just right around the corner and it will come up suddenly. May they declare these four truths over their life, remembering that they are in the boat. Their life is in and hidden in Christ, who is their life. It's in his name we pray, amen.